Just a warning before I get started. This episode covers a case of prolonged and severe abuse against multiple children and will not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Out of respect for the children's privacy, I will not be using their first names. Few cases are as chilling as that of the Turpin family. Regardless of where you live, you likely remember this story dominating national and even international news in January 2018. The photos splashed across our television screens were designed to project an image of a big, happy family. The one that sticks with me is of the Turpin parents renewing their vows at a chapel in Las Vegas, surrounded by their 13 children, who are all dressed identically. The 10 girls wearing purple plaid dresses, white tights, and white shoes, and the 3 boys wearing suits and purple ties. All of them are smiling at the camera, but something just feels off about the photos, something you can't immediately put your finger on. The reality could not have been further from what the parents, David and Louise Turpin, were attempting to convey in those photos. When the story broke of what was really going on behind the closed doors of their Southern California home, those who got the impression that something just wasn't quite right had their feelings confirmed. It was all fake, a charade put on to hide the truth of just how depraved humans can be. I'm your host Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 8, House of Horrors, The Turpin Family. Paris, California is a city home to just under 80,000 people in the Inland Empire region in the southern part of the state. Located in West Riverside County, Paris is about 70 miles southeast of Los Angeles and 20 miles south of the city of Riverside. Homes in Paris are far more affordable than other parts of Southern California, but beyond that, there is not much that brings people there. The Mediterranean-style homes on Muir Woods Road in Paris sit side-by-side on palm-tree-lined streets, separated by no more than several meters. Given the hot, dry climate, there is little greenery other than the small patches of lawn outside of each home. Some of the homes proudly fly American flags, and many have basketball hoops set up in their driveways. It looks like a typical suburban neighborhood. There was nothing typical about 160 Muir Woods Road, however. The day in question was January 14th, 2018, a Sunday. For two long, torturous years, the girl had been planning to escape from her family home, a place so squalid and miserable, it wouldn't be a stretch to call it a hellhole. In one hand, she clutched a deactivated cell phone she had been hiding for months. With her other hand, she pried open the window and slid out as quietly as she could. At 17, she was small and emaciated, never receiving the nourishment required to properly grow and develop. A smaller girl, aged 13, slipped through the window after her. She was nearly identical to her older sister, with long, lank brown hair and skin so pale it was almost translucent. It had just gone 6 a.m., almost twilight. It was perfectly quiet and still. 
The older of the two girls began making her way across the lawn, away from the house which had served as a prison for so long. The younger girl stood frozen on the spot. The older girl was too anxious to stay and encourage her. She knew there was no time to waste. Glancing back over her shoulder, she realized her little sister had disappeared back into the house, through the window they had emerged from just moments before. Now it was all on her. She dialed 911 on the cell phone and lifted it to her ear. My parents are abusive, she told the operator. My two little sisters right now are chained up. They're chained up to their bed. David Allen Turpin was born October 17, 1961, to Betty and James Turpin in Princeton, West Virginia. I couldn't find much information about his early life other than that his family were very religious. David attended Princeton High School where he was very active in extracurricular activities, including the Bible Club, Chess Club, Science Club, and Acapella Choir. After graduating high school, he attended Virginia Tech University in Blacksburg, Virginia, where he studied electrical engineering. David was extremely intelligent and would eventually land jobs in computer engineering at high-profile defense technology companies. Louise Anna Robinette was born May 24, 1968, to Phyllis and Wayne Robinette in Princeton, West Virginia, the oldest of six children. The family were devout evangelical Christians. Wayne was a preacher and Phyllis sang in the church choir as well as working as a cashier at Walmart. Childhood for the Robinette children was miserable. Wayne and Phyllis fought constantly and were strict and unforgiving with the children. A relative began sexually abusing Louise and her sisters from a young age. Louise's sister, Teresa, explained that the abuse was a big secret in the family, always present but never spoken about. Louise was very protective of her younger siblings, her sister Elizabeth later told People magazine. She remembered Louise as always doing her best to calm them after their parents' explosive arguments and trying to shield them from their pedophilic relative. When Louise was 15, she met 22-year-old David Turpin at church and the two began dating. The couple kept their relationship secret, fearing how Louise's parents would react if they found out. Phyllis eventually learned of the relationship and accepted it, reasoning that David was from a good Christian household and she trusted Louise, despite the fact Louise was a child and David was an adult. They continued to hide it from Wayne, however, sure that he would be furious. In January 1985, 23-year-old David walked into Princeton High School, where he graduated from five years earlier, and where Louise was enrolled at the time. He somehow convinced staff at the school to let him sign Louise out of class. Louise willingly left the school with David, and the two of them began driving south with plans to elope. When Louise's parents found out that she was gone, they called the police. The young couple had already made it to Texas, their final destination, before the authorities caught up with them. Without too much fuss, they agreed to return to Princeton. When they got home, Wayne and Phyllis were surprisingly calm. More than anything, Wayne was upset with Phyllis for allowing Louise to date David in the first place. 
but he realized there was little he could do to keep the clearly smitten couple apart, so he agreed to let his 16-year-old daughter marry David Turpin. The two married in a small ceremony in Peerisburg, Virginia, on February 11, 1985. According to Louise's sister, Elizabeth Flores, Louise immediately began distancing herself from the family after marrying David. No longer constrained by her parents, she was determined to embrace her newfound freedom. In 1988, Louise and David had their first child, a girl. About 18 months later, in 1990, David moved Louise and their baby daughter to Fort Worth, Texas, after he was transferred there by General Dynamics, which was soon taken over by Lockheed Martin. The Turpins moved into a nice home in Fort Worth's Meadow Creek neighborhood. David was making good money, and the young family were living well. Shortly after the move, Louise invited her family in West Virginia to come visit. The Robinette family never had much money and often struggled financially. When her mother and siblings came to Texas, Louise clearly wanted them to see that she had not let her family's financial difficulties follow her. She and David paid for everything, including their flights. The following year, 1991, saw the arrival of Louise and David's second child, a boy. In 1992, life began going downhill for the Turpins, but nobody on the outside looking in ever would have known. They appeared to be a thriving, perfect little family. It was that year, however, that they filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. They were in serious debt, regardless of David's six-figure salary. Their financial troubles did not deter them from living a lavish lifestyle they could not afford. In 1993, Louise became pregnant with their third child, another girl. As they had each year since David and Louise moved to Fort Worth, Louise's family came to visit as planned. Louise was determined that they not find out about their money troubles, so they once again paid for all travel expenses and activities during the trip. Louise's sister, Teresa, would later recall that they had no clue that there was anything amiss in her sister's life during that trip. She described the house as beautiful and the atmosphere as fun and happy. The oldest Turpin daughter, born 1988, started the first grade in September 1994 at Meadow Creek Elementary. She was showing obvious signs of neglect, coming into school with greasy, unbrushed hair and wearing the same dirty clothes every day. It was clear that she was not bathing regularly. Her poor hygiene resulted in her becoming an object of ridicule amongst her classmates. In 1995, Louise and David's fourth child, another boy, was born. The following year, David, Louise, and their four kids traveled to West Virginia to see Louise's family. The Turpins spent frivolously on this trip also, taking everybody out for expensive meals every day. To her mother and siblings, it seemed as though Louise had it all. Louise's sister, Elizabeth, asked Louise if she could spend the summer of 1996 in Fort Worth at their house. David and Louise agreed to let her stay. The summer was revealing for Elizabeth, and not in a good way. On this particular trip, the Turpins had driven to West Virginia. 
On their way home, this time with Elizabeth in tow, they made a surprise stop at a casino in Louisiana. Louise asked Elizabeth if she could watch the kids while she and David went in to gamble. She also told her not to tell anybody about the casino stop, especially not their other family members. Elizabeth was gobsmacked. This was not the Louise that she knew. They grew up in a strict Christian household, where reckless activities like gambling were condemned and considered a sin. The casino visit resulted in a bad argument between David and Louise. David accused Louise of having a gambling problem and losing all his money. During Elizabeth's visit, she began to get the impression that the Turpins' life wasn't really what they were making it out to be. David and Louise were extremely controlling of their young children, not allowing them to eat, drink, or go to the bathroom without their permission. Elizabeth later said that during her stay, she could not remember one instance of David or Louise showing any affection towards the kids. She also spoke of how David would wander into the bathroom and watch her while she was showering. It was like a joke. He never touched me or anything, she said. I think this ended up being the first and last time Elizabeth would stay with Louise and the family. In May of 1997, Louise and David's fifth child was born. That September, when the oldest Turpin daughter returned to school, her hygiene was even worse than before. Her teachers commented that she was quote-unquote talking about things that could indicate sexual abuse. However, no action was ever taken to look into whether there was abuse going on in the Turpin home. There was no record of the Turpins with the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services. In 1998, a sixth child, another girl, was born. David and Louise were still going to casinos regularly. They were drowning in debt, even though David was still working and earning a six-figure salary. Later that year, the bank foreclosed on the Turpins' Fort Worth home. The house was a disgusting mess when they left. They obviously wanted to make sure it was in the most revolting condition possible for the new owners. The new homeowners, who bought the house in 2000 and still owned it as of 2018, spoke to ABC News shortly after the Turpin story broke. They told the news outlet that when they entered the property for the first time, there was a putrid smell coming from inside and mysterious dark stains on the floors and walls. They believed these mysterious stains to be feces. The Turpins moved to Rio Vista, Texas in 1999, and Louise gave birth to their seventh child. Rio Vista, located in Johnson County, Texas, has a population of about 650 people. It's about 40 miles south of Fort Worth and very remote, which I'm sure was an important factor in their decision to move there. The oldest daughter, aged 10 or 11 at this point, stopped attending school completely. None of the other children ever went to school at all. According to David and Louise, they were being homeschooled, which turned out to be untrue. I'll get into this later in the episode. The oldest daughter's third grade education would be the most advanced any of the children would ever receive. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. While they were living in Rio Vista, David and Louise had five more children in 2001, 2003, 2004, 2006, and 2007. This would bring their total number of children up to 12. All the while, the abuse was becoming increasingly severe. The children were slapped, choked, and whipped with belts for things like going to the bathroom without asking. They were not allowed to shower or bathe more than once a year and were fed only cheap frozen food and bologna sandwiches. David and Louise would buy food that looked delicious but would not let the children eat it. They would make them sit and look at the food as they starved. The children were so malnourished, their growth was stunted and their skin was pasty and sallow. They appeared physically far younger than their actual ages. The lack of socialization outside the home and psychological abuse resulted in delayed cognitive development. I believe it was when they moved to Rio Vista that Louise stopped inviting her family to stay with them. Instead, they began talking on Skype. The Skype sessions felt awkward and uncomfortable, as the children were only allowed to talk one at a time, according to Louise's sister, Teresa. Teresa got the idea that they were struggling as a result of being homeschooled. They didn't hold a conversation well. I was always concerned that they weren't going to be socially developed, she would later say. Police were called to the Turpin home twice while they lived in Rio Vista, but never due to reports of child abuse or neglect. The first time was in June 2001, when the four-year-old daughter was bitten by a dog. The second time was in February 2003, when the Turpin's pet pig, yes, you did hear that right, they had a pet pig, and I don't believe it was one of those trendy micro pigs, escaped from the yard and ate 55 pounds of dog food. In 2004, an expensive-looking mobile home appeared on the Rio Vista property. David, Louise, and the ten children abandoned the house and moved into the mobile home, as the house was uninhabitable. The house was littered with garbage, dead animals, and who knows what other filth. In 2008, then 40-year-old Louise had an interesting conversation with her sister, Teresa. She revealed to her some of the wild exploits she and David had been involved in. They were no longer going to church, which was huge, as they had both grown up devoutly Christian. Louise found not attending church very liberating, as it gave her freedom to explore different spiritual and religious practices. Furthermore, she no longer trusted the church, she said. I'll just add that although they stopped going to church, they did take part in some more unconventional religious practices, such as attending snake handling festivals, which is associated with a small number of Pentecostal churches in Appalachia and the southeastern United States. Louise also confided in Teresa that she and David were getting into swinging. 
They would leave the older children at home to look after the younger ones and go meet up with strangers they met online to have sex. I did also read that it was just Louise having sex with strangers, but it did not bother David. In fact, he was quite happy to facilitate Louise's trysts, apparently driving her to hotels where they had arranged to meet these men. David would drop her off and pick her up when she was finished. Understandably, Teresa was shocked. When they were children, Louise, being the oldest, had always been the responsible one. She looked out for her younger siblings and almost acted as a second mother to them. Teresa could not fathom what happened to her sister. In 2010, the Turpins left Rio Vista for Murrieta, located in southwest Riverside County in Southern California. Murrieta has a population of about 113,000, so this was quite a change from tiny Rio Vista. Photos would pop up regularly on Facebook of the Turpins enjoying themselves in various locations, often Disneyland in Anaheim, California. Also worth mentioning is that David and Louise had a bizarre fixation with Disneyland and took many trips there with the entire family. They would dress the kids in matching Disney-themed t-shirts and take photos in iconic parts of the theme park. They were such Disneyland fanatics that they had vanity plates made for their two cars. One of the plates read, DL Forever, and the other read, D-Land. In 2010, the Skype conversations with Louise's family stopped completely. Her sisters pleaded repeatedly with her to just let them have a short call with the kids, but they were either ignored or Louise told them they were too busy. Louise's parents and siblings were hurt and upset, but they felt there was little that they could do. Louise would send family photos to her parents and siblings in which the children were all smiling happily. This gave them some reassurance, as the kids looked healthy enough, although maybe a little thin. They couldn't have known from looking at the photos of the hell the children endured every day. In California, state law requires that children aged between 6 and 18 attend public day school. However, children can be taken out of school and educated at home through an existing private school or parents can file an affidavit to open a home-based school. Here is a quote from a report on private schooling in California from the BBC. In California, private schools operate outside the jurisdiction of the education department and most regulations. They are directly accountable to students and their parents or guardians, and the state has no authority to monitor or evaluate them. Teachers at private schools in California also do not need to hold a valid state teaching qualification. In 2011, David Turpin opened a private school out of the Turpin's Murrieta home, which he named Sandcastle Day School. He listed himself as the principal and administrator of the school, which had six students enrolled, each in different grades. All he needed to do was file a private school affidavit stating that the children were enrolled full-time and he was taking attendance daily. As private schools do not fall in the jurisdiction of the Department of Education, the state did not have the authority to inspect the school, as they would have with normal state schools. In 2014, the Turpins moved for a final time. 
They relocated to Paris, California, specifically 160 Muirwoods Road, about 20 miles north of Marietta. By this time, the abuse was out of control. David and Louise were more violent with the children than they had been at any other time. They were tied with ropes to their beds, and if they tried to escape, the rope was replaced with chains and padlocks. They would spend up to 20 hours a day in their rooms. They were often barred from using the toilet, meaning the rooms were filthy and the smell was nauseating. The following year, 2015, Louise gave birth to the 13th Turpin child. It was the same year that the entire family traveled to Las Vegas, where David and Louise planned to renew their vows for their 30th wedding anniversary. They went to the Elvis Chapel, where Elvis impersonator Kent Ripley oversaw the renewal of their vows. This is where those photos were taken that I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode. In a video of this ceremony, David can be heard repeating the words of Elvis to Louise. I offer you this ring as a symbol of my love, baby, baby. Then they kiss. On cue, the children clap and smile. I described earlier the events which resulted in the 13 Turpin children being freed from 160 Muir Woods Road. The 911 call, made by the 17-year-old daughter who escaped through the window, lasted 20 minutes. She told the operator that she believed her siblings needed to see a doctor. She explained the sorts of conditions she and her siblings lived in, adding that she had photos from inside of the house on the cell phone. When the operator asked if she was around the corner from her house, she replied, Yeah, I think. I've never been out. I don't go out much. When the police arrived, they spoke to the girl and looked at the photos she had taken from inside of the house that they now stood next to. The officers were shocked that she was 17, as she was so tiny and thin. When they first set eyes on her, they were sure that she was no older than 10. When they knocked on the door, a perplexed Louise Turpin answered. When they entered, a foul-smelling odor hit them almost immediately. It only worsened as they walked further into the house. The conditions inside were horrifying. As the girl told the 911 operator, three of her siblings were shackled to their beds. The officers could not believe that seven of them were adults, as they were all so small and sickly. The floors were coated with grime and garbage. The children who had been chained to their beds had clearly not been allowed to use the bathroom recently. The police removed all 13 children from the home. The six minors were taken to Riverside University Medical Center in Moreno Valley, and the seven adult children were taken to Corona Regional Medical Center. At 9 p.m. on January 14, 2018, David and Louise Turpin were arrested on suspicion of child abuse and torture. Four days later, they were each charged with the following, 12 counts of torture, 7 counts of abuse of a dependent adult, 6 counts of child abuse slash neglect, and 12 counts of false imprisonment. David Turpin was charged with one count of a lewd act on a child under the age of 14. 
With regards to this charge, Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron said, We are alleging David Turpin touched one of the victims in a lewd way by using force or fear. The two-year-old was the only one who was not malnourished, nor had she been subject to abuse or torture, as the other children had. Both David and Louise pleaded not guilty and were held on $9 million bail. District Attorney Hestron held a news conference in which he detailed the appalling abuse the children suffered, which resulted in these charges. The abuse included, but was not limited to, being tied up with rope in dark, filthy conditions. If a child tried to escape, the parents would use chains and padlocks instead. Much of the time they were not freed from the chains to use the bathroom. Physical abuse, including slapping, strangling, and being thrown down the stairs. Not being allowed to shower more than once a year. Being taunted with food and not allowed to eat. Being starved. The oldest daughter, age 29, weighed just 82 pounds when she was rescued. The parents bought toys, but they were kept in their packages. The children were not allowed to play with them. They were made to stay up all night, not being allowed to go to bed until 4 or 5 in the morning. It had been more than 4 years since any of them had seen a doctor. None of them had ever been to the dentist. The children had suffered nerve damage and cognitive impairment as a result of prolonged physical and psychological abuse. Many of them lacked a basic knowledge of life. For example, they did not know what medicine was. On January 24, 2018, Riverside County Superior Court Judge Emma Smith ordered that David and Louise Turpin be barred from making any attempts to contact their children for three years and only be allowed to contact them via their lawyer. In May 2018, David was also charged with eight counts of perjury in connection to the private school, Sandcastle Day School, he created. According to the district attorney's office, he committed perjury by filing affidavits with the State Department of Education that stated, The children in the home were receiving a full-time education in a private day school. The affidavits were filed from 2010 to 2017, the indictment said. A judge declared on June 21, 2018, that the evidence was sufficient for David and Louise Turpin to stand trial. On February 22, 2019, however, both parents changed their pleas, each pleading guilty to 14 counts of torture, abuse of a dependent adult, child endangerment, and false imprisonment. On April 19, 2019, the Turpin sentencing hearing took place. Many of the children faced them for the first time since their arrest and read statements they had written. The 27-year-old son said, Sometimes I still have nightmares of things that happened such as my siblings being chained up and beaten. I love my parents and I have forgiven them for much of what they did. I have learned so much and become very independent. I live in an apartment and go to a nearby college. I am getting a bachelor's degree in software engineering 
and after I get my bachelor's degree, I'm going to get a job as a software engineer and go to school part-time to get my master's degree. He also read a statement from one of his sisters. I love both of my parents so much. Although it may not have been the best way of raising us, I'm glad that they did because it made me the person I am today. I just want to thank them for teaching me about God and faith. I pray for them often. I am doing well. I am going to college full-time. I have an apartment. We are not supposed to necessarily understand God's will, but we are only to follow and to trust in Him. After hearing from the children, David Turpin started sobbing. Being so emotional, he was unable to read his own statement, and his lawyer had to read it for him. It read, in part, I never intended for any harm to come to my children. I hope for the very best for them in the future. Louise was also emotional, but able to read her own statement in court. I'm sorry for everything I've done to hurt my children. I love my children so much. I want them to know that mom and dad are going to be okay, she said. Judge Bernard Schwartz, who oversaw the hearing, was less sympathetic toward David and Louise than their children were. He said, Their lives have been permanently altered in their ability to learn, grow, and thrive. You have delayed their mental, physical, and emotional development. To the extent that they do thrive, and it appears from today that perhaps a couple of them are, it will not be because of you both but in spite of you both. Judge Schwartz sentenced both defendants to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 25 years. As of July 2021, Louise is 53 years old and will be eligible for parole in 2036 when she is 67. She is currently incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. David Turpin is 59 years old and will also be eligible for parole in 2036, when he is 74. He is incarcerated at California State Prison in Corcoran. After the horrific details of the Turpin children's captivity began flooding out in the days and weeks following their rescue, those who encountered them over the years began looking back and thinking about whether there were warning signs they missed. Their neighbors just thought they were an odd couple with a lot of children who liked their privacy. They did not want to ask questions or pry if nothing stuck out to them as being obviously wrong. Looking back, one of their neighbors from Paris said, In hindsight, we would have never thought this, but there were red flags. You never don't see or hear that many kids. One of their neighbors from Murrieta recalled seeing the Turpin children at night, walking around in circles. Remember how I mentioned that they were made to stay up all night and not go to bed until dawn? He definitely thought it was strange, but he wasn't necessarily alarmed. They just lead different lifestyles, he reasoned to himself. A man who attended Meadow Creek Elementary School in Fort Worth spoke to the Washington Post about his memories of the oldest Turpin daughter who had been in his class. He remembered her as frail and always wearing dirty clothes. He recalled how she just stopped coming to school after the third grade. 
When he saw the Turpin family on the news in January 2018, he was horrified. He posted on Facebook expressing his intense feeling of sadness about what he learned. Here is some of what he wrote. I can't help but feel an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. Of course, none of us are responsible for the events that ensued, but you can't help but feel rotten when the classmate your peers made fun of for smelling like poop quite literally had to sit in her own waist because she was chained to her bed. It is nothing but sobering to know that the person who sat across from you at the lunch table went home to squalor and filth while you went home to a warm meal and a bedtime story. A question I'm sure that many have is why did the Turpins have so many children? According to David's parents, James and Betty Turpin, the couple's reasoning for this was that God called on them to do so. In total, the Turpins would have 13 children, their names all beginning with the letter J. I found some sources saying that they were adherents of the Quiverful movement, a Christian evangelical movement which shuns any form of contraception. According to the BBC, Christians in the movement believe in giving up all forms of contraception and accepting as many children as God gives, both as a sign of obedience to God and in a bid to ensure the future of the faith. Part of me thinks that regardless of whether they did follow this movement, the Turpins just wanted to have as many children as possible. They clearly loved the attention they got when they posted photos of their huge family on social media. Before I go on, I'm not a psychologist and everything I say and write is derived from my own reading on these topics. Being a true crime blogger and podcaster, I've read widely about abnormal psychology and my knowledge has expanded over time. I am no means an expert or authority, however. I'm not going to try and explain why David and Louise Turpin abused and tortured their children for so many years. I don't believe it's possible to fully understand why they did what they did. You can, however, speculate as to conditions that may have contributed. A desire to feel in control was no doubt an important motivator for them. David and Louise's lives were falling apart. They were plagued with debt, which would have caused increased levels of stress, anger, and even feelings of resentment towards their children. The lack of control they felt in their own lives likely resulted in them feeling they needed to fully control the lives of their children, who were extremely vulnerable and completely reliant on them. They isolated them, not putting them in school or letting them socialize with other children. They probably told them that they could not trust anyone outside of the family, that everybody wanted to hurt them or do them wrong. Because the children were almost never exposed to anything or anyone outside the home, they did not know any better, nor would they dare question what their parents told them. I've read several articles speculating that perhaps David and Louise originally thought they were doing the right thing, protecting their children from a world they had convinced themselves was immoral and corrupt. But this does not explain the treatment they received inside of the home, being starved and beaten, not being allowed to use the bathroom, and being forced to live in their own filth. These extremes came later, after David and Louise's lives had been spiraling for a while, and they felt the need to assert even more dominance over the kids. I can't imagine that it's possible to fully recover from the abuse that the Turpin children suffered for so long. 
During their parents' sentencing hearing, however, many of them told David and Louise that they had forgiven them. This was such a unique and incomprehensible situation that I imagine only people who have been in a similar position can grasp how the children could consider forgiving their parents. It's also worth noting that this isn't a typical kidnapping case in that the children were not actually snatched by some sick and twisted stranger. David and Louise were their parents, the only authority figures they ever knew. Since they barely experienced life outside of the home, they did not necessarily always know that what was being done to them was wrong. This could also contribute to their willingness to forgive. The children appear to be doing extremely well after all they've been through. Attorney Jack Osborne, representing the seven adult children, went as far as to say that they are thriving. He spoke of what kind, caring people they are, despite the hell their lives had been up to that point. After they were released from hospital in March 2018, Osborne said, They're joyful, warm, and considerate. It's not all about them. They want to hear what's going on with you and me and my family. It's just really fun. It's fun to be around them. Of course, they're really full of joy about their life and the things that they're getting to experience right now. As of summer 2019, the seven adult children were living together and the six juveniles were with guardians. While Superior Court Judge Emma Smith originally ordered in January 2018 that their parents be barred from contacting them for three years, each child has since been allowed to decide how long the order lasts, depending on their preference. Many of them have started taking classes, making up for never actually receiving an education of any kind. From what I've read, they are highly intelligent and love to learn. They take nothing for granted and are embracing everything the world has to offer. The oldest daughter, who was 30 at the time of her parents' 2019 sentencing hearing, said, My parents took my whole life from me, but now I'm taking my life back. Life may have been bad, but it changed me for the better. I'm a fighter, I'm strong, and I'm shooting through life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Before I finish, I want to take the time to recommend the novel, Girl A by Abigail Dean, which was inspired by the Turpin case. It's a harrowing and captivating read and beautifully written. While it is fiction, I'd still urge any true crime fan to read it. If you've been enjoying my show, please give me a 5-star review on iTunes, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever you're listening now. I'll be putting up the blog post for this episode very soon on TalkMurderWithMe.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash talkmurder. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. Until next time, friends. 